Um, I'm going to break kayfabe real quick. This is the first episode I've actually been married on. We've had, what, a two drop since I actually One. got married? Destination okay. Wedding. Well, yeah, I guess. Well, Keanu. Keanu. I forgot about Keanu. Keanu yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, I don't feel any different, I guess. But you don't? I, no, but I should probably stop taking my shirt off while we're recording. I feel like the <laughs> listeners can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. We, we've been meaning to talk to you about it anyway. <laughs> oh, were you guys not into it? <laughs> oh, shit. No shirt, no shoes, no podcast. Man, I really... Oh, man. That's a new rule. Dang. I really should have cleared lines of communication. That's my bad, y'all. Yeah, we have yeah. the 7-Eleven standards here at the Good Trash Honor Cast. Oh, damn. <laughs> was, I mean, we were cool until you brought your collection of dildos. <laughs> I thought you would be interested. Um, which I, I guess that can segue into what we're doing today. It can <laughs> most certainly. It, do you know this? Was it removed from yeah, the final a, edit? This was a uh, edit from the movie. Tell uh, me more. Studio made uh, in the, I believe, in the tank. She had decorated a room with her dildos. Beautiful. And uh, the studio's like, we we can't do that. Uh, they're also <laughs> also going to be full kangaroo uh, penis. Uh, Twelve inches. Penis. Oh man! Uh, so of, uh, ju- just like the Equisapiens. Yeah, yeah. We, we would have to wait so of much booga? longer for our Is it booga? booga, booga, booga. Yeah. What's the? It's kangaroo? booga. Booga. I think. We were going to see his dong. Yeah, in the post, in the quote-unquote post-coital scene, wow. there's going to be full. Uh, yeah. with, with the literal bullet bra. Love that bullet bra, by that the way. That was so the, cool. The literal. Hey, welcome again to the Good Trash Donor Cast, where we definitely talk about the films you'll never discuss period. In a film studies course, period. Um, two different statements were being made at the same time just then. Oh, we are talking about Tank Girl right now. Uh, let's do some introductions. First of all, there's a voice you might not know, but I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Still Dalton. And we have a guest host today. Who are you? <gasps> I'm Alexander Bohannon. We're so glad you're here. Our uh, dedicated and most loyal listeners will recognize Alex from... Uh, vintage. What, what, vintage days. Yeah, we did, I mean, we have phases on I this show. Titanic yeah. was the last time, was that? Have you been here oh. since Titanic? What? You came on the Titanic show. I did, and I also uh, did Alternate Universe. What? I Stop. came on the Titanic! Are you serious? <laughs> God damn it. Are we already there? All, all of a sudden, Arthur... <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> Phrasing. Phrasing. <laughs> You're the only person in this room old enough to have been on the <laughs> that Titanic. That is very true. So, uh, But yeah, she was here for uh, the Alternate Universe of Captain Marvel. That's right. Wait, That's what? That's right. Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, in the multiverse, when we got sucked away for a while. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that? No. Yeah. Oh, it was kind of like we just took a nap when we woke up and Dustin's like, guys, we've got to get back there real quick. You don't oh. remember any of this. Oh, yeah. Okay, with, the, wor- with the wormholes. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, we got yeah. snaptured and yeah, uh, we yeah, were yeah. gone for a while. Yeah. you. Oh, that's such a good episode, by the way. We haven't yeah, we got to talk to you enough since that episode, man. It was been, great. So we did this thing last year where we did the highest grossing film as our like last episode proper. And we did Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And I'm just assuming Endgame will be at that cap by the end of the year. I don't see anything. I can't see how it, it wouldn't. Yeah. So I think if we do in-game, we have to have a segment on where where the girls come in to talk about the portrayal of Captain Marvel in Endgame. I think you're absolutely right. I, I agree with the sentiment. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, what are we? We're actually here to talk about Tank Girl today, though, right? We are. We here. are. We are here to do just that. And if you're tuning in for the first time, dear listener, I need to warn you: in case you've slept and not seen Tank Girl from 1995, <laughs> this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and we are going to spoil the ending, um, which does not involve um, Kangaroo Peen, uh, which is just too bad. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we will be spoiling all the rest. Do they keep of- it in the pouch? Oh, no. Uh, marsupials, I don't think they're genitalia or any... I think it's just how they wear their young, man. It's not like those pajamas that drop at the... <laughs> like, like, like a union suit? Like yeah. Yosemite Sam? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. In the front? <laughs> In front. 
Google <laughs> kangaroo. <laughs> Sorry, we still Siri. We still recording. Howdy kangaroo's store. <laughs> I am going to blush a lot this episode. I can feel already. Um, and I'm all right with that. But we are going to be talking about that in great detail. So if you are not wishing to be spoiled and would like to catch a uh, Tank Girl on the various uh, free uh, apps it's available on. It says for free with ads on uh, Vudu. It's for free with ads on uh, IMDb Free Dive. It's you know a handful of other places. And uh, the ads, I watched it with Free Dive. It, very unobtrusive. Very. I, I, they cut well on. Yeah, IMDb. they do. Yeah. yeah, they do a good job there. Um, some of the other services like Crackle don't do so awesome at that kind of thing. But um, that, in this case, it was, it was very all right. But um, we'll be doing that uh, for you. But before that, we'll have a quick synopsis, some generally spoiler light. Um, reviews of the movie, and then we kind of get down to business after we start doing our game where we start expanding the syllabus, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So I uh, just want to make sure you're warned about that. So without any further ado, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, um, give us our dildo-free uh, synopsis of Tank Girl. Uh, Rachel Talele's 1995 adaptation of the British post-apocalyptic comic series Tank Girl is a wild ride. Set within 40 years in the future, the Earth has been reduced to a drought-plague disaster zone. The aptly named Water and Power Corporation have monopolized the world's water supply, while rebels, factions, and mutant kangaroos, or rippers, hide out in the Australian outback. After her commune is raided and her lover is murdered, Tank Girl, played by Lori Petty, and her friend Sam, played by Stacey Lynn Ramsauer, are captured by WNP. Tank Girl is enslaved by the evil Kesley, portrayed by Malcolm McDowell. Tank Girl makes a break with help from Jet Girl, portrayed by a young Naomi Watts. Following an attack by the Rippers, Tank Girl learns that Sam has been sent to work at a sex club. Uh, Tank Girl and Jet Girl go to the rescue, but Sam is again captured by WMP soldiers. The Rippers, Jet Girl, and Tank Girl get together and forge a plan to infiltrate WMP to get revenge and save Sam. Featuring a dynamite soundtrack, anarchic performances, and production design from Catherine Hardwick, Tank Girl tanked at le- release, but has since become a cult classic. Boom. Nice. Very good. Very good. And it is a, a, a movie that is worthy of naming the production designer. I mean, it's really, Agreed. really Ooh, well designed. Yeah. Uh, especially considering who that production designer went on to be. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it's very, very good stuff. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and go around the table and just talk about whether or not we like this movie. Alex, you're here voluntarily. I did. Um, I'm here con- by contractual obligation. Yeah, we did not break into her commune, and we did not <laughs> kidnap her. <laughs> Yay! I, I, I have to be here. You're here on because you want to be, so you have to like this movie. Tell us tell us why. Well, so Tank Girl and I, I, I wish I could say, oh, I have this amazing relationship with Tank Girl. No, I really just saw it on the shelf at every single movie gallery, blockbuster, you know, family video, whatever. It was just always there. And I always, like, I looked at the cover. I mean, we, we child. Like, I looked at the cover. I'm like, this looks cool. Obviously, my parents are never going to rent this for me. Um, so I actually hadn't seen it until watching it for this this podcast. And uh, what I found in Tank Girl was to be an absolute treat. I had so much fun watching this film. Is it the best film? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But there are certain, like, there's this kind of gray area of movie it's like oh man i don't care how real bad is it is uh, as long as i'm having a good time and that's kind of where i am with tank girl there are some moments i'm like that needs to move along or what the fuck just happened in like a, a bad way like stuff doesn't make sense but those are few and far between all, all, overall my fun had was greater than do i care if this is gonna win best picture very good very good thank you for that what do you think dalton do you like this movie this movie is astonishing it is a marvel. It is the absolute peak of bonker cinema. It's fucking insane. Arthur has already listed like the the non makeup cast, which is 
astonishing. Uh, but we haven't even talked about the cast that makes up the Rippers. Obviously, Ice T is the big one, but you've got <laughs> the immortal and incomparable Reggie Cathy, who uh, mm-hmm. um, just passed a couple of years ago, who uh, I have loved for so, so long. But also Jeff Kober uh, as um, the, the kangaroo whose penis we did not get to see. Um, and also a young Doug Jones is one of the, uh, the uh, kangaroos without lines. Uh, what? Yeah. This, did, did you notice Iggy Pop? I did notice Iggy Pop. Yeah, this movie has an insane cast, and it's just kind of adds to the the anarchic fun of this because you keep thinking you know everybody that's going to be in this movie, and faces that you know just keep popping up. Uh, and it does, as Alex mentioned, I mean, it's yeah, it's a shaggy dog of a movie, uh, but it also gets through what could be an otherwise painful exposition dump just like so charmingly and quickly, and clearly is like you know this does not matter. I am telling you the rules of this world so it makes slightly more sense, but none of this is going to make sense. Strap in. Like, you either get it or you don't. You either hang with the uh, the future uh, dystopian slang or you don't hang with it. It's It's got that, uh, uh, well, an, another uh, Aussie set uh, apocalyptic film vibe. It's got a real Mad Max thing going for it in, that ter- in terms of we are never going to explain most of the rules of this and we are definitely not going to bother explaining the slang to you. You're just going to have to try to figure it out. Uh, and, and I love that about it. I'm also a huge fan of the way this film uses uh, animation to do montage. Uh, there, there's just something really wonderful about it's got that 90s feel of we didn't know how to turn comic books into movies yet. And everybody's still like trying to figure out how to thread that needle. And I think bringing in, man, we've been saying thread the needle a lot on the show lately. Uh, I think bringing uh, those panels in is just so cool. And I assume that's original art uh, from the comics or art done by the... Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look into that. Dang. Uh, because it, it looks great, and it seems pretty similar to what few panels of Tank Girl comics I've seen before. Uh, but I just, I love that that usage of it. I think it makes the film breezy and light. And yeah, as Alex said, it never gets stuck in one place for too long. Anytime you're like, this is really dragging, it it's on to the next thing. Uh, this film also uh, fulfilled a lifelong question for me. I remember the scene of the Rippers asking them to strip vividly. Uh, I walked <laughs> through the living room. I was a young, young child. I walked through the living room of a neighbor or friend's house, uh, and it, on in the, the living room was this film. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is this? Uh, probably swearing, in fact. I was so shocked at you know six or seven or however old I was. But it has stuck with me for years, and I have never Never known what it was because I couldn't tell that they were supposed to be half kangaroo. Uh, I knew that there were half kangaroo men in this movie. Didn't know that this was that movie. Uh, so, mystery solved. Thanks, Tank Girl. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie. Awesome, awesome. Well, what do you say, Arthur? Uh, I, I I think it's a just a pure delight. It is anarchy un- unleashed. It is marching to the beat of its own drum. It's Looney Tunes as hell, man. Yeah, it's just doing this thing that it wants to do. And to your point, you know, it's setting these rules in play that it doesn't explain and it doesn't have to explain it's a lot like john wick in that way it's got that kind of world building where these things exist the characters buy into them and so i can buy into them it doesn't have to you know be spelled out for me uh and couple that with Lori petty's bottled chaos of a performance here so good uh so different from anything you know i've seen her in orange is the black i've seen her in a few other things point break being probably the other big cornerstone especially in this time frame uh, which are much more subdued performances. And so f- to see her doing this just off-the-walls yeah. cartoon character... You made this comment off-air that uh, no Tank Girl, uh, no Harley Quinn. And uh, yeah. I'm right. yeah, I think you're spot-on, dude. I, I, I'm, set it up, I'm trying it to in. figure that out because, you know, 
we've seen Harley Quinn in the animated series who has a very much similar persona and that predates this movie, but it's set post comics of the, the Tank Girl comics. Mm-hmm. So I, I was trying to see if there was any influence there, but I mean, she's very much got that Harley Quinn vibe of just, yeah, even if she's not a direct influence, I think maybe like that, that performance kind of warming its way into the subconscious through this film being a real cult hit, I think yeah. lends to the longevity of a character like yeah. Harley Quinn. We get to see Malcolm McDowell become a Mega Man villain, mm-hmm. uh, so which cool. is a hoot. Uh, yeah. The kangaroos. I mean, it's all over the place, and it, I think it owns it, and it works. And uh, Rachel Talaley had a, done a lot of work with John Waters, and I think that kind of carries over mm-hmm. here. Oh. She worked as production assistant and, and produced that makes sense. Uh, yeah, Hairspray and uh, Crybaby, so she has a lot of that uh, relationship here, I think, feeding into this, and I think it has a lot of charm to it that, that really works. And so, yeah, I... I I dug it. Excellent, excellent. You know, I'm glad that I was contractually obligated for one more show because, yeah, I've never seen Take Girl, and this is a blast. It is the good movie that Super Mario Brothers could have been. Damn, okay, uh, yeah. It, I mean, really. I mean, they're they're almost going there, but they just they, they, there's like so much studio control or something like that is going wrong with Super Mario Brothers. And in this movie, they just don't care. There's like, we're going to do what we do, and we're going to do it bonkers. And uh, this movie is just bananas from beginning to end, and I love every bit of it. Uh, we've already talked about the great performances, and and I really enjoyed that. I do get the feeling Ice-T does not want to be there. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe he thought it was something else. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of makeup to be under if you're not used to it. Yeah, and I mean, there's a moment where they're doing the little dancing and he is not playing. And I'm like, I bet you were like that most of the time you were on the set. I'm yeah. curious. I, I, it's a bizarre choice in the early 90s for, for him. Yeah. I, I mean, this is right around the same time as New Jack City. Like, yeah. it's if anybody knows anything about how Ice T feels about uh, Tank Girl, Ice T, if you listen to the show, how do you how, how do you like this movie? And if anybody just like has done research on this, I would love to know. Yeah, I would, I'd be curious about this. Oh, we got to talk about Courtney Love and the work that she did putting together the soundtrack. I mean, some great stuff with a lot of good Bush, um, a lot of good um, uh, stuff. Phrasing. For, oh, gosh, you guys have got to stop. <laughs> you did. You said it, it not me, dog. A lot of great Bush. I am done with you all. <laughs> Uh, Bush was a popular alternative band in the early 90s for anybody younger yeah, than the age of 26. Thanks, Alexa. <laughs> Try to keep the show relevant. It is a great you know, soundtrack, though. It is a good it's soundtrack. A wonderful soundtrack. It, it, good, good mid-90s stuff. Ice-T's got a good track on there. I mean, it's good. There's an Iggy Pop song that's thrown There's in there for, for kicks and grins. Dance yeah. number in this movie. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's like a big musical number, a Busby Berkeley thing. It's yeah. just great. So, yeah, I'm a big fan, and uh, I'm really, really glad we talked about it. It is a mess in a lot of ways, too, oh, and yeah. I'm sure we're going to get all, into all of that. But, yes, I definitely enjoyed my view of this film, and I like Gavin Rosdell's band a lot, and I'll never say it again. So, <laughs> it's a, You know what? Good band. That's a good band. All right, I'm done with you all. All right, so let's move on, though. I think now's the time where we get to expand the syllabus. So you're teaching some film studies course at some point in your life, and this movie is what you've chosen <laughs> ready. to put on the syllabus. Uh, how would you expand the syllabus with additional readings and or viewings uh, to uh, educate the young minds that you are responsible for? I'm going to go to you first, Dalton, because you are so ready. I'm so ready. This I'm film, so ready for This you. film is a fucking like, linchpin of of a web of pop culture uh, that looks like Charlie Day's conspiracy board from It's Always Sunny. Get <laughs> yes. ready. Put the gif in your brain. Okay. Th- this film is so many different genres at once that it like somehow forms this nexus of 90s and 2000s cinema and like really kind of, I don't know, helps them coalesce in a way that is just so unexpected. So it's got 
this um, indie comic adaptation thing going for it. We don't get a lot of those, but I think some of the films that are going to be really helpful to to view to kind of understand how we tend to adapt uh, indie comics. You got to look at Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, you got to look at The Mask. Um, from right around the same time, I think getting a contemporary in there is super important. And then you got to look at Dread, uh, the 2012 one with uh, Carl Urban. Uh, yeah, you could go to the the Judge Dread uh, with Stallone as more of a contemporary, but I think Tank Girl seems to be so much a representation of what the the energy of the comic is. I think the 2012 Dread is just a better example because that, that film is kind of similarly heralded as capturing the tone of its source material. Uh, so after that, you've got to move on to this... Uh, this really interesting cycle in the 90s we had of um, these European-influenced action heroines. Uh, so you got to look at La Femme Nikita, you got to look at The Professional, and you got to look at The Fifth Element. So obviously uh, a lot of Luc Besson happening here, but I feel like the, the indie nature, the international production uh, flavor of this film, I think those kind of add to it, sharing some DNA with those Luc Besson films from the 90s. Uh, and then you gotta you got to fold in the ever-popular, weirdly popular genre of Australian uh, apocalypse movies. Uh, I watched this film in Mad Max Fury Road back-to-back, and I'll tell you what. It's the same universe. It makes sense, dude. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a watch together that makes perfect sense. Like, thematically, tonally, obviously, not entirely, uh, but a little bit. I mean, they both have a, a shared commitment to... Uh, precise anarchy on camera um so yeah and then of course uh, a much darker much bleaker film the rover which is a very different kind of australian apocalypse movie but a film i love very much i love it um so yeah i, I think tank girl sits at the center of this web of seemingly completely unrelated films and connects all of them in a really weirdly perfect way um so yeah this is a whole 16 week course baby we're strapping in this is tank girl is the linchpin of uh late 20th century, early 21st century popular culture. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Daltonsford. I'm going to go to you next, Alex. Um, oh, I was going to say, like, I know your your job now when you're dis- designing your future courses, you're going to just take that and... I'm still in what everybody does. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah I'm absolutely. just thinking you guys will do my work for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go to school long enough to ever teach in a university. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's sorry, bud. Oh. Hey, Alex, how would you expand the syllabus? How would I expand the syllabus well first of all um i think a great accompaniment is a specific episode of batman the animated series it's harley and ivy because you've got to explore that oh it's gay question mark relationship between tank girl and jet girl because it is there um and it is not but it is there it's like text but not but text but definitely um so yeah you've got to explore that and of course the the performances we've talked about before with harley quinn tank girl feeding each other i think i sense that they're both kind of actually contemporaries of each other um which is interesting because harley quinn introduced in betas then ported into the comics so that's kind of an it's like tank girl was the opposite where she was ported onto screen so i find that's a very interesting uh dynamic there um for another i i really love seeing um comic book panels uh done in film and well that kind of acknowledgement of course scott pilgrim is a huge one of that but then also, I mean, I can't 
not talk about Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah, anytime yeah. you get a chance. Yeah, I mean, also a very um, interesting like take on doing the kind of comic book way in a way that isn't, I mean, of course, Tangirl has, has some camp, but they do it in a lot more serious way, but it works really well with lots of cell shading and all the kinds of pal and things like that. Um, another piece that I uh, I talked about uh, with my boyfriend when watching this was uh, uh, the 60s Batman because like that to me it feels very <laughs> totally similar and definitely in terms of having uh, that kind of that comic book that over the top and and not being afraid of it either because there's sometimes it's like now like one thing you talked about earlier is seeing what comic book movies were like, not even just pre-Marvel, but like just pre, like being of an independent spirit. So it like definitely has a totally different method of like, it's totally different language of cinema. And that's one thing I really appreciate. And then uh, last, but certainly not least. Oh, and last and certainly not least is going to be Beetlejuice because I feel like these have share a film language Mm. also. Um, and definitely the going between animation of either, um, you know, claymation or, you know, drawn. Um, but then, yeah, there's that, uh, that, that, uh, that language, that, that drawn language I feel is very, very similar and totally similar. I I do feel like uh, Beetlejuice is a superior film, but I do think that they would be home together, um, in terms of their art style. Um, and fun fact, I learned that Tank Girl's one of either one of the illustrators for Tank Girl um, actually did all the art for the gorillas. So that's why those look. Whoa, cool. Yeah. See yes. that? Yeah. yeah. I can totally yeah. see that. Totally that's yeah. awesome. So yeah. that's that. Co- very good. One very of the creators good. was co-creator of the gorillas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Dude. <sighs> Not just illustrator, co-creator. Guys, yeah. my theory about it being a linchpin. I'm telling you. Confirm. I'm telling you. Let's go, Charlie. The Dick. pieces keep falling into place. Yes. Well, Arthur, you're teaching this class. This this is on your syllabus. Yeah. <laughs> Justify yourself. Go. I I think I'd hit on the counterculture. I, I mean, this is really birthed yeah. out of British pop uh, punk culture and, and that kind of counterculture. And so I think I'd go back. I was listening to Unspooled's discussion of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I think that's kind of where I'd go back to with Milos Forman, uh, this idea of someone Entering a system and just completely upsetting it in every possible way uh, is, is probably my starting point for this. And then I think I would follow that up with Alex Cox's Repo Man. Mm. Um, Love that movie. Which really delves into that 80s punk culture and, and plays in that realm and I think sets up nicely uh, probably the Tank Girl comic strip, but also this movie really well. And it is also operating in this weird B-movie wackiness that I, I think... we got to do Repo Man on this show. Yeah, we, we really need to. I, and I think Tangirl is owning that that same wacky element of, of this kind of weird, absurdist, surrealist, punk narrative thing that it's doing in the film. And so those those would be where I'd expand the syllabus. Very good, very good. Well, um, yeah, I'm going with the same kind of idea there. And the first place I would go with is, is reading Dick Hedridge's uh, Counterculture, which mm-hmm. is a book I talk about all the time. And uh, he does this uh, interesting analysis of uh, the mods, the teddy boys, the punks, the skinheads, and all these various groups uh, that come to play. And uh, part of his uh, – the way his thesis works – talking with, sharp skinheads? What, what kind of – just all skinheads? British skinheads specifically. And so that sort of neo-Nazi thing gotcha, um, that's gotcha, going gotcha. on. And, and what he does, though, is he uses each of those moves – and this movie definitely is uh, 90s punk, sort of that, that punk uh, 
uh, reclamation of or the grunge reclamation of punk in the 1990s and uh, the way in which the socioeconomic forces sort of make those things possible and that they um, each of those cultures they don't form in a or subcultures or countercultures they don't form in a vacuum but rather they form from the material things that are their left form the term that he uses is conjunctures right and so this is a conjunction of various material circumstances that creates an opportunity for uh, youth cultures to create something autonomous and different, and that's where it gets into his term of specificity. He's lifting all the stuff from Antonio Gramsci. Mm-hmm. But, well, and this is, all sounds like stuff that you could also apply to the way film cycles happen, right? Yeah. Whether it's film noir or superhero films or this weird spate of 90s indie comic adaptations we got. Yeah, and, and so the way he's doing that and using that as a moment of resistance um, in terms of economic class, because we are dealing with uh, corporate owning of uh, natural resource in terms of water, and so that's the first place I would go uh, with that. And so you'd want to look at that movie, or rather that book. Um, I'd also uh, include Ben Davis's 9.5 Theses on Art. Um, I would make him read the whole book because that's a tough week um, if you're going to do Hebdige and that. But his idea that you have to find a way in which art begins to wrestle with class struggle. And uh, that's definitely kind of at the root of what's going on here in this text, uh, this film text. And then I'm choosing um, a Gal Garcia Bernal film, mm. uh, Even the Rain. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, because uh, it's about this owning of water in Copacabana, um, Bolivia. I couldn't think of the name of the country for a second. Um, and the way in which uh, they privatized all water rights, and it became illegal to collect rainwater. And uh, because it was all owned by this corporation, massive protests You know, in 1999 just directly following this. Um, and of course, all those sort of economic circumstances, the big WTO riots in Seattle are happening just four or five years down the road from this as well. And so... I would try to enter into that milieu, and what's interesting about Bernal's film is that it's about making a movie in Bolivia and then realizing this water crisis is going on and something different happens, and all of a sudden the art becomes co-opted by the class struggle. You've been banging the drum of that film, I think, as long as we've been doing this show, and eventually I, I will watch it. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Someday. Uh, so There's a lot um, of films. There is a lot of movies. So, um, yeah, that's that's the way I would go about it, and uh, definitely uh, class struggle and the way in which you can use countercultures and their aesthetics uh, to sort of begin that sort of anarchic uh, class struggle move against that stuff. So those are my thoughts. So there you go, dear listener. Um, your syllabus just got a lot longer. Um, let's get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. That's right, dear listener. And that yes. business is, as always, analysis. And there are many things that we could talk about. I guess let's begin, first of all, with uh, there's a criticism, and Arthur mentioned this already, you know, um, sort of. How feminist is this movie? Is it truly feminist? What, to what degree are things feminist? Is it exploitative? Because, I mean, Lori Petty's body is definitely... Banging. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> she did it so you didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got the quote You're here. not wrong. I'll, I'll read the quote. Please read no, the quote. Here. Yeah. So this is uh, from the Wikipedia entry. It's quoting a book called Cult Cinema from 2011. Uh, Ernest... Yeah, Ernest and Jamie Sexton discussed the issue of whether cult films purported to be feminist were truly feminist or, quote, partly the effect of the performance of feminist attitudes in its reception, end quote. The authors considered Tank Girl to be a, quote, real feminist cult film, end quote, as opposed to the feminist cult films of Catherine Bigelow and Catherine Hardwick. 
which they consider to be too masculine and too eager to cater to, quote, heteronormativity, respectively. Okay. There you have it from Ernest and what's his doodle sex? Except for Point Break's gay. Yeah. But, I mean, but that. Well, and uh, Near Dark is super pansexual. I wouldn't yeah. even, it's not even gay. It's just the most pansexual film that's also about bloodborne illness. So, yeah, I, I think it seems what they're getting at is this idea, right, that if something doesn't make money, um, then it is inherently more, has more artistic value, right? Yeah, maybe. It seems a little bit of that. Also, I, I do feel like there is a, a way in which you can criticize feminist art, um, you know, from a sort of like an alt-right, you know, red pilly kind of way, where if there's any part of it where it's, um, I mean, Lori Petty is not hard on the eyes, um, as we've already mentioned, and that the camera does love her body, that those, that the presence of that sort of sexuality um, or objectification, I guess you might say. Um, well, the question is, is it objectification when it's present? And some would say at any point, is, if there's any oogling at all, then it's fundamentally bad. I, an argument could be made about the uh, the horror film Revenge, you know, to sort mm-hmm. of make a counterpoint argument here or just a, a side point uh, to that because I forget the actress's name. Uh, in Revenge, we all we, we've all seen. Revenge. I have seen it still. So okay, just uh, Arthur. you and Arthur are the the big fans of it. Yeah, I mean she is in her skivvies, you know, mm-hmm. um, running around with a gun, and um, she is not hard on the eyes either. And uh, but she's also you know definitely taking you know action against these men that have abused her, right? And it is a revenge story from beginning to end. And so the the criticism is if it has that, then it somehow um, takes the teeth out of any feminist critique. What do we think about those kind of responses, and how do we respond to those responses? You and I are both looking at each other like, who's going to go first? Yeah. Go ahead, bud. Yeah, I'm not allowed to be the first one no, to say something. No, I... It <laughs> <laughs> would be Thanks. fucked up, dude. I'm, I'm so you're glad welcome. you're here, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, like, this is something that I, I was finding myself thinking at about while watching the movie. There, there is some. I mean, I know she does in the end get with the kangaroo, but like when she was with a humanoid boyfriend, it. Yo, weenie. When she was with a humanoid boyfriend, like it did do a full. It was gonna do a full pan down ogle, and it didn't go as far as to like going to his junk on the the camera, like you know the female gaze. You yeah. know, it was it was ready to go there, um, but it didn't go all of that way. And I mean, the dildo scene, as much as we laughed about it being taken out, I mean, she does talk about like touching herself and like obviously like masturbating. And so to me, her sexuality in this film, um, while it is at times tr- attempted to be weaponized against her. It's still one of those things that I feel like is, is wholly her own and that she owns um, in, in this movie. Um, I don't know, like, obviously there's, you know, the women in the club, like I, you can't blanket statement this. I don't right. feel, I, I feel like, you know, her character is so well evolved. Um, you know, she goes to the make me a, a, 
wa- water prostitute room and and you know she goes through the <laughs> steps and then every <laughs> in every single moment of the steps that she's getting explained by this mirror she does something different uh, like to subvert the expectations of what you know this little box that they're shoving people in um so there is that kind of thing i mean it's definitely like so it's such a little narrow line to walk that sometimes you're like oh did that just go a little bit too uh far on one of the directions um i yeah i i wrestled with that a lot i come across i i think my end end vibe is saying that it is not objectifying her because she reclaims it and then also uses a weapon against other people but it's not a blanket statement on the whole movie I mean, yeah, think, I'm glad you went first because that's more or less my feeling and you said it's smarter. I think the film lets her own her sexuality so aggressively and so frequently. Uh, and again, there, there's this like literal like statement of intent with that scene in the, in the, the dressing room of that club, right? Like a direct statement of intent, I feel like, by the film. So I, I, I tend to stand with you, Alex. Dustin, it's interesting you made that comment about you know, you you can critique feminist art from this this red pill or uh, male rights activist point of view, and God help you if you feel like you need to engage films that way. But there's this other end of the spectrum, right? This ideological purity of like, if this thing is not feminist enough, if this right. thing is not communist enough, if this thing is not woke enough, or you know, whatever the fuck your purity test is, then it's not. It's trash. And it's garbage. And I'm firmly will always be in the camp that anything that moves the needle of our conversation towards egalitarianism is probably good like even if it makes missteps uh that's fine i didn't think i was going to get to come up at one point uh, i had uh funny games on my else or my expanding the syllabus uh, i decided it didn't fit with what i wanted to do but uh, since we were talking about other films that look at the female body i, I happened to watch funny games like two days before i watched this uh forgetting that naomi Watts was in tank girl just i had arthur's copy of funny games for like a year now uh, i've been wanting to rewatch it <laughs> i I'm ready to bring it back, by the way. Uh, uh, so I watched it, and um, with my wife on vacation. Uh, oh, yeah, fun! It's a, it's a great. That's, uh, a, that's a good. New it's a good honeymoon movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen to your wives, you idiots! Uh, but Funny Games features Naomi Watts in her underpants for the last 45 minutes of the movie, and I don't think that you could make the argument at any point that Cameron has any interest in her body whatsoever. And that doesn't make the film feminist, but it does mean that it is trying to engage with the ways that cinema engages with the female body. Uh, And I think that in and of itself uh, starts to become a critique on uh, gender roles within cinema. Well, you know, I mean, we were talking about being woke enough and uh, that that sort of is it that enough. And honestly, I do see that critique as not really coming from the left. I do see it as uh, the left being co-opted by the right. Mm. It seems to me like it is this hegemony thing that happens. I don't know, man. I think when Fury Road came out, I think that there was this like ideological purity test of, oh, well, because of the uh, Volvolini used firearms. Uh, that is this, you know, this masculine uh, idea of righteousness that, and I don't, I feel like that's a misread of what those characters are about, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying, I, I do feel like, th- you're absolutely right, though. There are bad faith 
co-optings of those sorts yeah. of things. But I feel like there's plenty of good faith arguments out I mean, there. I mean, there are. And I mean, th- I think it's an important conversation how to do this stuff best. But if we're going to be doing representational cinema in any sense, that means it's going to be within the messiness of the subject. The person themselves is going to do their things their way. And the way in which Lori Petty's Tank Girl is going to engage that is not the same way as Jet Girl. I think the counterpoint is there. There that, you go. That Jet Girl is, um, she does begin more timid, but she is definitely doing very, very sort of liberatory moves herself and making her own choices it's harder for her to do that initially but that being said um that's just the way it ends up looking for her and i think there's a way in which um this sort of desire to set the rules it feels much to me like again another uh, example that's recent in our discussions of the podcast in captain marvel um that last fight scene where jude law is just demanding of her to fight the fight on his terms and uh that she she doesn't have to and that's – I think really that's what the question ends up being is that uh, either from the left or from the right, people keep wanting to demand that the fight be fought the way they want it to be fought rather than the artists themselves making the argument that they want to make the way they want to make it. And that ought to be enough. We're on our own path to enlightenment, baby. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about filmmaking? Yeah, let's do it. Um, fucking Stan Winston coming in here clutch in this tiny movie, making these weird kangaroo men. Um, I don't really have much to say other than that. I just really love Stan Winston, and I miss him a whole lot. And he made, if you don't know the name, the dang Predator and the dang Terminator and these dang uh, kangaroo boys. And he also helped on uh, James Cameron's Aliens, not the original Alien design. Yeah, he he really, uh, you know, they were trying to, they reached out to Winston, and they didn't think he'd do it because of fees and budget and things like that. But he really wanted to be part of this and cut, I think, his fee in half to, to be willing wow. to work on this. And, and so I think that's a really cool uh, story. But the Rippers themselves, this idea of, you know, uh, DNA and genetic engineering and, and kind of, tinkering with trying to create a super soldier is is an interesting idea here no you're abs- absolutely and it, it comes up a little bit in the 90s right with stuff like this and gattaca we're starting to you know cloning is happening in the 90s but you're right this is a seeds that are dropped that you know again sorry to bother you we talked about the equisapiens earlier other films and other media pick up on this idea and it's been around for a while but you're right arthur i mean they do kind of represent this this drive uh scientifically to uh, go well if we have the tools to make people better why don't we and it is an interesting question um and you're sam winston coming in and i love i love that i didn't know that he reduced his fee for this that's incredible and i think the makeup is so expressive and that's a big thing i mean if you have somebody in full face makeup can the performance shine through Uh, and i think it does here with the rippers I, i think they are all given enough uh, differentiation in terms of the design that they all look like different individual beings. They don't look monolithic in any way. Um, it just, that's hard. That's very difficult. And, uh, I, I think the makeup design in this is just so, so good. Um, and it helps sell this, this idea that they're trying to get about this genetic uh, manipulation. Yeah. And one thing that was really interesting about the creature design in particular is that they, um, it, cause like they, you see in the little montage at the end when you see them draw bo- booger, uh, booga, um, that like they actually do have that more kangaroo mm-hmm. uh, face and they apparently designed that, um, on purpose so that they, the actors could emote and express themselves and it not just be like this giant kangaroo nose shoved on their face. And, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something lost when you put anybody in some sort of suit or mask and, you know, you yeah. think of the Ninja Turtles, which mm-hmm. 
there's just not a lot of emoting there that can't be done outside, you know, outside of just vocal performance. And even superhero movies, you know, we always see Spider-Man's got his mask off, or Iron Man's got his mask off, or Star-Lord's got his mask off. Finding excuses. Yeah, because we need to see him emote, and you can't Mm -hmm. see that. So I think that's a very good call on Winston's part to to run with that sort of design here the actors yeah. do a great job of acting around teeth though and mm. i think that's oh, yeah. just worth pointing out you know with a mouthful of uh, false teeth uh, of any sort i mean that's really really challenging and uh, they do a great job of nailing that yep uh raymond malik has thoughts on that oh, oh my god i've <laughs> i've heard that interview that poor angel <laughs> just a good man trying to be in a fucking crazy movie mm. <laughs> Not where I was going, but all right. Um, uh, oh, you what? Hey, <laughs> that's something. Yeah, this we'll get the Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in the uh, in the Tank Girl reboot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna drop like a malformed, like barely thought out thesis. Mm, Let's like go. That. Like this is like me thinking out loud, but I've been noticing a thing, and I think maybe there is something to it that might have legs. That in the '90s, what you find in uh, these sort of like big resistance cinema kind of movies. Uh, and I, another example of equally ludicrous levels is like Demolition Man, right? And there is a way in which these films all tend to side with the resistance cells, right? Uh, Terminator 2 would be another example, that, that the big corporations and the big governments um, that are at work in the world are uh, they're accumulating power in terms of military prowess, and they are, uh, they're monetizing and they're commercializing basic commodities for human existence, and that there is a, this sort of uh, Zeke guys that's at work in that moment in which these rebels, whatever version of them that you're looking at, that they are the good guys. They're the ones that you want to work with uh, in order to sort of break down, tear down. And the, the, the it's going on, uh, you know, WTO stuff. All this stuff is going on throughout the 90s. Mm. Oh, gee, what happened after that? 9-11. Oh, is that why people don't stop liking resistance? Oh. And all of a sudden, they're all terrorists. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean that. That's, I knew that's where you were going. I was yeah. so excited. Yeah. That, that seems to be like you, you're, you're able to see this sort of watershed moment here where you're going, well, I don't know about this. It seems like a... Yeah, I think the fallout of... Uh, I, I don't know how controversial this is, but I'm just going to say it. Disastrous U.S. foreign policy in South America throughout mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s. I think the 90s kind of reckons with that. But you're right. I mean, 9-11 happens and the game has changed right. uh, in, in so, so many ways, but especially for our purposes, uh, cinema. Uh, and uh, I think 24 is a big harbinger of changing attitudes towards this. And I think we're the pendulum is swinging back again where we're starting to interrogate oh we just spent you know 20 some odd years uh ignoring like moral gray areas that exist on all sides of any given conflict so it's uh, it's interesting right it's, it's a weird way in which again gramsci comes back up in the terms of hegemony the way in which power sort of reaccumulates itself is that it restructures who the good guys are where the sympathies have to be laying and so there still is a place for critique but it's critique for the the good government gone wrong you know doing doing the bad th- doing the right thing the wrong way dark knight you know, style yeah right steps in wrong directions you know that kind of stuff dark knight yeah and so that's the way in which critique is sort of played out in cinema, but it's not in the same way in which there's sympathy for um, radical solutions. There's not the same kind of critique for um, you know uh, counter societies or you know protracted people's war kind of uh, Maoist movements. Well, I would say now now we're getting into why uh, pacifistic revolutions are the ones that end up having traction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why nonviolent resistors preach nonviolence is because as soon as you can be shown doing a violent act, you are a villain. Right. Especially if you don't have the means to uh, 
give your your platform legs. Right, and I mean the the movie moves around that because Tank Girl shoots you know cans of beer you know at, which is hilarious. That's so funny. Uh, oh, that's good. Uh, um, at Malcolm McDowell. Um, so you know that's that's a lot of fun. But yeah, I just I, I, I keep thinking about how what what would the world have looked like you know had that moment not occurred. And I think about it literally every day. Yeah, it's the great cinematic question, right? Oh, well, we're still talking about cinema exclusively. Then yes, I also still think about it every single day, <laughs> <laughs> but just for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it's a, uh, you know, you were talking about that, Dustin, we, well, this is the good force gone bad, and I, I could not, for the life of me, think of anything that engages with, uh, the war on terror, at least our side of it, uh, with moral fog, and again, I'm sure there's a couple of things that have dealt with that, I mean, again, we've been in this conflict for 20 years now, uh, there has been a lot of media about it, or at least indirectly engaging with it, uh, but I just finished season two of Barry, and it's one of the first things I can really clear i'd think of being a thing that just states matter-of-factly clearly war crimes happen and people get away with them Mm -hmm. and then those people have to go on and figure out how to be a person again um and it's the that's the only thing again it's there's recency for me there but yeah i can't can any of you as we're assembled think of anything that's like a post 9-11 vice film but but that like i mean that's like the subject matter interrogating with it directly on paper so it's like kind of one of those things i mean people definitely get waterboarded and mauled and die in that movie. Okay, yeah, Zero Dark Thirty, I guess, a little that's bit. That's what I was thinking. That. But, yeah. Yeah, it's but that's still, still really critique close of to the, the situation. otherwise benign, but sort of just at lost its way kind of organization. We don't see those narratives where it's all about these people who are like, we're going to burn down a building, we're going to overthrow, you know. Oh, shit. Uh, seasons one and two of The Punisher on Netflix. That's it. Uh, the CIA is actively just the villain of that mm-hmm. franchise. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's all schlocky stuff. At a certain point, I think. Even Barry, which is not particularly schlocky, but it's comedy uh, at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I think the only th- narratives challenging th- these ideas we're talking about are kind of on the outskirts right. of uh, popular culture. I mean, recently, sorry to bother you. you okay. Know, would be maybe, it, you know, join the Equisapiens, right? You got anything else you want to talk about, bud? Uh, that's all I had in terms of big questions or anything else that we're just burning to discuss as well. How do we feel about... This as Western, I had, I uh, was doing some reading, I think, I don't remember where it was, but uh, it mentioned oh. that there was some criticism of this film as not upholding the spirit of the original comics because it wasn't as kind of surreal or non-plot driven or absurd as, 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 and I mean, a lot of that's there, but I guess not as much as, as say, the comics themselves, uh, but they, they say it kind of laid it into this classic Western genre of, you know, the... The, the gunfighter has lost everything, and now they're out for revenge. I think mm-hmm. that idea to journey and go up against the, I, I the read, rich man. I read the same thing. You know, loses the steed. You know, they're there in the desert yeah. and finding water yeah. off the body. And, you know, that's very Clint Eastwood, you know, as it opens up, you know, keeping watch and, you know, getting yeah. taken over. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that going on there. Um, I don't think it takes away from the absurdity of the rest of it. I mean, you're not going to capture, I don't know how many issues the uh, comic book ran, but you're, I mean, there's a, there's a sense when you're watching it, you feel like, oh yeah, we got to get the kangaroos in. You know, oh yeah, we got to get this little moment in here. We've got to, you know, sort of, uh, reclaim this sort of iconic image. And there is a way in which, uh, the images are, the tableaus are constructed that you're definitely saying, okay, we're seeing a thing that's from the comics. And the use of animation does some of that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a, a limitation of an hour and forty-four minute movie of a you know a long run of comics. Um, you're just you're just not going to get all of that in there, and you've got to make some sort of narrative sense. And I think those basic Western tropes are useful um, to sort of help describe some of that. So I I don't have a problem with it. Cool. 
I don't either. Yeah, I could see why somebody would call it a Western, but that didn't occur to me until you said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that we've already touched on a little bit is studio intervention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the fact we need to talk about it because the reason why the ending is animated and it just kind of stops and like it goes into this great, wonderfully animated sequence, but we don't cut back to on screen to see Tank Girl or the effect of Malcolm McDowell's character dying yeah. or anything like that is because the original ending was cut. Um, and yeah, it was like a live action thing and it ends with it raining, but I think it was because they rearranged another minor character and so it might not have made sense blah 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 so i I had my suspicions that some of the animation was to cover not having the budget to do reshoots yeah yeah so that makes sense i I don't know how much i mean it's fine that it doesn't make sense but this movie can't care that much about making sense if you stick the thing in the guy's back and extracts their (laughs) blood and then it fills up the little squeegee bottle of water. Amazing. When you pop off the water thing, it's a giant open hole. There's no water left in this when you pull it off the guy's back. And Malcolm McDowell's holding a bucket of water. You can't you can't open a cup upside down and have water in it. We don't care. <laughs> it's not important. We don't care. I mean, I saw them. Well, that doesn't work. But I, this movie doesn't care about that. I mean, give me what you want to give me. I mean, because we've already given up on reality. So I, 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 I hate yeah. that that's gone. Because yeah, yeah I, I don't need it to make sense. Yeah, I uh, I I think it's interesting. This is uh, studio intervention is always fascinating to me, and I thought you might be going somewhere with this when you're talking about this kind of anti-capitalist, anti-consumer, mm. anti-corporation narrative being released by a major studio, which I think is also an interesting facet. When you know Jurassic Park is one we long time ago when we talked about, it, we brought up that narrative. It's a very anti-franchise, uh, very anti-corporation movie in a lot of ways being released by Universal. And, and, and so it's a hard thing, I think, to reckon with when this sort of large-scale consumer art, and I wouldn't call Tank Girl large-scale, but it's still playing with those, a lot of those ideas. And this one's a little different as it is kind of a passion project of uh, the director who's optioned this this property to be turned into a film and working very closely with the the creators of the, the comic strip itself to bring this to screen. And the studio's getting very anxious about it because I think they're just assuming it's going to scare off any potential well, I think there's like audiences. an anesthetization anesti- uh, an an, uh, an uh, yeah there's a, there's a factor of that I can't say that word right now it's okay. um, uh, of using a little bit of that in the narrative with when we're talking about corporations that deal in art and so you can talk about a park that is fully exploitative of these animals that's making a crazy ridiculous genetic choices and is cheapening the life of human beings you know opening up with the murder well the, the death of the, the the worker from the yeah. from the velociraptor the beginning of jurassic park and you can do that uh in a studio that has its own theme park that is a place that you go to and that they even design rides based on it and there's a way in which because i've given you a little bit of that resistance in terms of your narrative fantasy that now you have been inoculated and no longer need to do any real resistance and you can keep paying the money and eating the popcorn and playing the games and riding the rides and i was just about to say uh you you can now go visit your star wars world yeah yeah, yeah. thank you for enjoying your vaguely uh resistance themed uh pop culture um 250 please for your custom lightsaber <laughs> so yeah is that real Oh, but yeah. I don't think about it. Does the lightsaber choose you? Is it like an Ollivander's lightsaber <laughs> shop? <laughs> Neat. 
if you really want to get into it, you can go to Polygon and read an article where somebody compared it to both a drug deal and a religious experience, oh which God. sounds about right. Y'all got any more of them lightsabers? <laughs> Two hundred and a quarter of a thousand dollars for a, a very a for a very big toy. Put it in the scale there. Um, yeah, gotta realize it there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a good point, Dustin. Things can be multiple things, man. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think there's a way in which uh, the studios do that, and they do it kind of on purpose because they know we want it. And yet they want to keep the cycle going. And I think the reason why they keep giving us these somewhat subversive, somewhat resistant-oriented pieces of art is because they, they kind of placate us. And they keep us tame. And um, it's working. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, we have, are ending the show where we always do, which is at a realization that nothing any individual does can ever affect any real change. Oh. This, is, this really had a uh, more of a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest ending uh, and, and than I expected. Yeah, no yeah. kidding, right? Here we are. Hey, Arthur, good job, good job <laughs> bringing up Cuckoo's Nest, I guess. Yeah. I uh, one one last statement, and this I mean this could perhaps go more to a critique of the original source material, so I can't in faith lob this only at Tank Girl nineteen ninety five the movie, um, but I do find it interesting that they're more they're more okay with her getting with a kangaroo than her just being gay. Yeah, nineties <laughs> were wild. Yeah, it's a weird time. It's like. But they didn't want to get her like two with the kangaroo. Like, yeah, because they couldn't. Allude. I mean, this movie comes out now. I mean, we've got Sally Hawkins doing it with the fish man, so you know this kangaroo's pumping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That kangaroo pump. <laughs> I still, I'm still just wildly fascinated with that. They built that full suit with a 12 inch kangaroo pain. That's so good. <laughs> well, and I think this is as good a time. Release the Tulele cut. <laughs> yeah, release Howard's. the Tulele cut. Yeah. Also, Guillermo del Toro, look to your elders. Uh, Tulele <laughs> built a kangaroo dick, bud. Where's that fish peen? Ow. I'm going to render a verdict now. All right, um, let's do I'm it. Because yeah. I'm, I'm blushing again. Um, shelfer trash. That's what we want to say about this movie. <laughs> Arthur, go. I will shelf it. I, I, I really, this movie is 10 years too late and about 15 years too too early. It's really interesting. I, I think this thing comes out now. It's a much different scenario. I think it comes out five, ten years earlier, you know, when the wake of something like Repo Man, it's a much different narrative, or even Mad Max. Um, and so I, I think it's fascinating. I, we just don't see this character very often. I mean, Tang Girl's a fascinating female lead character. We, it's non-traditional in a lot of ways, and I appreciate that about it. I appreciate that this movie's just danced to the beat of its own drum. It's doing what it wants to do, and I, I it's ballsy and uh, chaotic and kind of refreshing uh, to see something like this uh, in, you know, light of all of the other comic book movies we've been fed over the last two decades. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it belongs on the shelf. I'm, I'm going to go, go to bat for that one. All right. Thank you very much. What do you say, Dalton? Shelf or trash? Yeah, I'm with Arthur, man. There, there ain't no other movies like this. Uh, I use it as the linchpin for my theory of popular culture, but I, I can't think of anything that is as singularly weird and messy and so very much its own like Tank Girl. Can I see why uh, uh, Tulele has shifted mostly into TV? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, being a, a lady director is just hard as shit in this industry. Uh, but also, yeah, you make a movie that tanks this bad, uh, people aren't going to give you the credits. But uh, you know what? She's had a great career in television. And How do you market this movie? I, mean, I don't. But Ar it, well, Arthur's right. 
you don't market this movie in 1995. You market this movie in 1980 something or you know 2010. This movie came out too late and too early at the same time. Uh, it's singular and weird and great. And again, Rachel Tlaley is a great uh, TV director. She's done a, a couple of really good episodes of Riverdale. Um, Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. I think Supernatural she's done some work on. Yeah, she's done a lot of CW stuff, I believe. She's mm-hmm. We don't discuss it. Bible fan fiction on this podcast. <laughs> Let's, look, I stuck with Riverdale because it was the one I like the best of the things that I saw. Uh, but yeah, it, it, this movie is weird and is worth remembering and worth appreciating. Put it on the damn shelf. It's hard to find. All right. Thank you very much. What do you say, Alex? Shelf or trash? Oh yeah. Shelf it. And I don't even own that many movies. I think it's definitely worthwhile to own it. I think it's available on Blu-ray. I'm going to see if I can find a copy of it. Yeah. Uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, whatever they're called. I think they had the Oh, right I bet they have a it. nice, yeah. ooh, very cool. They, they could do good packaging too. They do. Yeah. That's one. They're cool. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so definitely would shelf it. Um, you have to do a shout out. I mean, it's female directed. It's female led. It's female production design, female soundtrack supervised. It's female DP'd. I mean, like what, you're not going to get all that, like all in one package. I mean, 1995 was apparently a very wild year. Um, so yeah, I would shelf it. It's great. It's kooky. It's one fun and you, you just need it in your life. Cause you're right. There's really nothing else like it. Yeah. Shelf. Period. Yeah. Why not? Why yeah. would you not? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I have nothing new to say compared to what you guys have said. But yes, absolutely, shelf this movie. It, you need to have it in your life, and it would be worth returning to. So yeah, I just want to remind our listeners that this is the year of getting serious about the shelf. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, all around the table. It's if you haven't seen this movie, watch it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, have some friends over. Uh, it's free to stream. Yeah, maybe it's right there. Maybe get a big ass bottle of wine. Like you need to get on this movie's level for sure. But please watch it. It's yeah. great. It's bonkers in the best possible way. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on Tank Girl. Um, we are done. That's great. I am done. Well, that... just sorry, bud. There is just one more thing. What? You... Well, he had I me... to work on my Columbo. It, that's pretty good Columbo. Oh, I, I thought Columbo. that was one more thing, Jackie. So I can tell you the reason why you put your wife in a meat grinder. I need to actually. <laughs> yeah. Um... I need to pretend to get up and leave. And as I'm walking through the door, just. Turn on time. There is one more one thing. One more thing. Well, Dustin, when you had me sign a, a very important piece of paper this past weekend. Recently. He uh, says that he spins his wedding ring. I did. Uh, didn't even mean to. Uh, Arthur and I also forged your signature on some documents, but they've already been submitted with the is court. Is that why there was paper under it? It was carbon copying my yeah. signature. Yeah, yeah, it was, baby. Yes. You monsters. Yes. And in, in fact, it's, it's not just one more thing. It's three. It's three more things. What? So we're going to do a thing uh, that Arthur made happen. Uh, Arthur asked the internet how they would feel about making why me watch. I know. About making uh, me watch. I don't know why I became the focus of this Twitter poll. It's either. always fun to pick on you. That's fair. Mm. Uh, it's should, the should we watch Shyamalan's uh, Unbreakable trilogy, which has only become a trilogy within the last three years, but in the last three months? Something. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you can make a movie in you know 2001 and... Zip, turn around and make it a trilogy later. But uh, yeah, we're going to watch all the dang Unbreakable movies. Uh, it's Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. Some of those are good movies. Some of them are not. You'll find out how we feel about it in a week, I guess. Uh, it's going to be a weird... It's going to be one of our megasodes. We might post it as one. We might post it as two. It depends on how much we have to say, honestly. Uh, but it's going to be a weird one, that's for are sure. Are you going to split it in the middle? Damn, yes! Damn you. <laughs> that was so good. She's hired. Yeah. <laughs> yes, come back now. All right, there uh, you have it. Okay. Sorry, Dustin. All right, we'll do one more. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. I'm not free. I'm not free.